Welcome everyone to the Gospel Hour with Dawn. Today's topic is the Bible versus the Quran. You know, it really matters what we believe. Believing in the wrong thing can lead to serious problems. You may believe the ice on a frozen lake is safe to walk on, but if it's not and you walk on it, you may fall through and drown or freeze to death. Not everything in life is trustworthy. If we trust or believe in a false book or a false prophet and follow their teachings, we will end up in hellfire. So listen to some of the words that the Lord Jesus said in the Bible. In Matthew 15, verse 14, Jesus says, "If And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. In Proverbs 16, it says, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Psalm uh, 9, verse 17, it says this, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. Also in Mark 16, verse 16, it says, He that believeth, meaning the gospel, he that believeth the gospel and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. In John chapter 3, verse 36, we read, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son of God shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So what we believe may have eternal consequences. So the topic is the Bible versus the Quran. Let me define the Bible. The term Bible that I'm referring to is it refers to the 66 books that comprise the authorized version, which was produced in 1611. And it's also called the King James Version. This version is not only the best and most authoritative English version, version, I should say, but also the very preserved words of God in English and true to the original. There is ample scholarship to support this assertion. The Holy Scriptures promise that God's words will endure forever. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, we read, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. End quote. Also in Psalm 12, we read this, quote, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them, from this generation forever, end quote. Also, in Luke 21, chapter 21, verse 33, the Lord Jesus says this, quote, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. So words communicate ideas. They represent ideas and things. So it's the words that will never pass away. That means the message of God's word will never pass away. The King James Bible will not lead anyone astray. 
Now that's, when I refer to the Bible, I'm referring to the King James. Now, by the term Quran, I am referring to the clear Quran, and it's called a thematic English translation of the message of the final revelation, and it was produced in 2016, and the translator was Dr. Mustafa Katab. I, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, but that's what I'm going to be referring to in this talk. It's going to be I'm going to be referring to this English version of the Quran. It's called the Clear Quran. Now, some Muslim leaders say that the Quran is not translatable. They say the pure Quran exists only in the Arabic language. But if it's not translatable, then neither can it be interpreted or understood in the mind of English-speaking people. This makes the religion of Islam beyond the reach of investigation in the mind of an English-speaking person. This makes English people unduly dependent upon Arabic-speaking teachers or imams or Muslim scholars. But we must believe that the true God can communicate his words to all people in all languages. But this article that I'm talking about, this, this deep dive that I'm doing, is about evaluating the clear Quran, the one produced in, 20, in the year 2016, and uh, it's in the English language. So that's when I refer to the Quran, I'm referring to the clear Quran. So let's look at some of the reasons that I believe we need to trust the Bible instead of the Quran. Number one, the Bible is much older and has a superior history than the Quran. This is a fact. The Bible in its completed form is over 500 years older than the Quran. The last book of the Bible was completed around the year 96 AD. The, uh, here's a quote from uh, Mr. Mustafa Katab. He said, the Quran was revealed in the 7th century Arabia. End quote. The history and circulation of the Quran is far inferior to that of the Bible. For the Quran was not translated into English by a Muslim until the 20th century. And that's a quote, that last part is a quote from, from uh, Mustafa Katab. So that's number one reason. The Bible is older. Number two, the Bible mentions Jesus much more often than Mary, the mother of Jesus. But the Quran makes more mention of Mary than of Jesus. This is noteworthy. This indicates that there was probably a Roman Catholic influence in the formation of the religion of Islam. The Roman Catholic Church was beginning to take shape between the years 312 AD and 400 AD. By 400, it was pretty much uh, it has it had probably it had pretty much taken shape by the year 400, roughly. So that's number two. The Bible 
mentions Jesus a lot more than Mary. But the Quran, it's the other way around. Quran mentions Mary more than Jesus. Here's the number and number three reason why I would trust the, the Bible instead of the Quran. The Bible declares that Jesus is more than the Messiah, the messenger of God, and the son of Mary. The Bible claims that Jesus is the only begotten son of God and not a created being. The Bible claims that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the son of God, that Jesus is the creator of all things because Jesus had existence before his incarnation. That's what the Bible says. And you can read about that in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1 through 14. In John, chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am, implying that Jesus had existence in his pre-incarnate, pre-incarnate state, he had existence prior to Abraham. And Thomas, one of his disciples, called Jesus my Lord and my God when he touched the, when he put his hands in the print, in the, the nail holes of the Lord Jesus. And, and, and so Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And in Revelation chapter 1 verse 8, it's mentions that Jesus is the Almighty. So these are just some of the Bible verses that prove that Jesus is God, the Son of God, and the Creator. The Quran, though, states, quote, the Messiah, Jesus, son of Mary, was no more than a messenger of God, and the fulfillment of his word through Mary and his spirit, created by a command from him. So believe in God and his messengers and do not say Trinity. Stop for your own good. God is only one God. Glory be to him. He is far above having a son. End quote. That's in Surah, which is the word Surah means chapter. So that's found in the Quran, chapter 4, verse 171. Also, in chapter 5, verse 17 of the Quran, it says this, quote, Indeed, those who say God is the Messiah, son of Mary, have fallen into disbelief, end quote. The Quran says that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of Mary, and a prophet, but not the son of God, not God the son, nor God. God the Creator. If the Quran says God has no son, but Jesus claimed to be the Son of God more than once, then Jesus must be a liar. How can the Quran claim Jesus is one of God's messengers or one of God's prophets if he often lied about being the Son of God? See, that doesn't work. And some may say, well, where did Jesus claim to be the Son of God? You can look it up in Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verse 61 to 63. Also, you see it again in John, chapter 9, verse 35 to 38. And also in John, chapter 10, verse 30 to 38. 
Now there's a, I read a, a Surah, Surah 4, 171, and there's a footnote there, and this footnote was put in there by Mustafa Katab, and this is what he, he puts in the footnote. Quote, Jesus was created by God's word, B, and he was. And life was breathed into Jesus by the Holy Spirit at the command of God. And in brackets after the Holy Spirit, he does not capitalize the word Holy Spirit, so he's not referring to God. After Holy Spirit, he puts in brackets the angel Gabriel. So he says that Jesus was created by the angel Gabriel. That's what Mustafa Katab says in his footnotes. Now that is very, very contrary to the Bible, of course. The uh, Holy Spirit, who is God, is what caused Mary to be pregnant and to, ha to uh, have a son. So that's why Mary was um, the mother of Jesus, but Jesus was born of a virgin. She was a, a virgin. That's very clearly taught in the Bible. So the Bible teaches that Jesus is eternal that he's not a created being and most certainly not created by an angel. That's number three. Number four, the Bible teaches the Trinity, but the Quran denies the Trinity. And by Trinity, I mean the tri-personal nature of the one true God. The Bible teaches, quote, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That's in Deuteronomy chapter 6. God is both one being and a triune being. The one divine essence is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, quote, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. End quote. That's from the Gospel of John chapter 4 verse 24. So the Trinity, another way to define the Trinity, it's the tri-unity of the one God. The Trinity is seen in quite a few Bible verses. It's found in Matthew chapter, chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. Also Matthew 28, verse 19. It's uh, seen in John chapter 14, verse 26. It's also seen in John 15, verse 26. It's seen in uh, 1 Corinthians. I think it's actually 2 Corinthians, chapter 13, verse 14. And also 1 John 5, 7. And it's found in more places. So the Bible teaches the Trinity or the triunity of the one God. If the Quran is truly from God, then the Bible must be from Satan. On the contrary, if the Bible is inspired by God, then the Quran is inspired by Satan. Both books cannot be true and cannot be inspired by God. Number five, the Bible does not need footnotes or expert teachers for the common man to understand it. In other words, the Bible explains itself if you take it within its context. Although they are very helpful, 
commentaries and footnotes are not necessary for understanding the Bible. The Bible is understandable to simple minds, but especially to those who are childlike, receptive, and teachable. And you can learn about that in Matthew 11, verse 25. Jesus says, I thank thee, Father, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Also, Luke 18, it talks about how the, the Bible is understandable to, to uh, a childlike mind. Those who are weak in intellect can understand the Bible if they are eager, eager to learn and willing to obey what it commands. Here's a, a verse from John chapter 7, verse 17. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. See, Jesus spoke only those words that his father wanted him to speak. So everything that Jesus spoke were the words of God. But who's going to know the doctrine? The word doctrine means teaching. Who's going to know the doctrine? The teaching that comes from God. It's only going to be given to those who will do his will. In other words, you need to be willing to do God's will. And if you are, then God will teach you. Here's another verse in Psalm, in the Old Testament, 111, verse 10. Quote, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. There again, you see that the more we obey what we know, the more truth we will be given. And that's seen in Psalm 111. And, that, and then it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That word beginning means it's the starting point of wisdom. The fear of God is the starting point of wisdom or the basis of, of wisdom. But the Quran, on the other hand, does require footnotes or Islamic experts to make it understandable and to provide context. The Quran is quite disjointed and does not flow easily. In fact, it contradicts itself, as, as we're, I'm going to show down the road here. It does not have much context to it, at least not much indisputable context as does the Bible. It is claimed that one needs to know, quote, the nuances of Arabic syntax and grammar, end quote, in order to properly understand the Quran. But the Bible, or with the Bible, in any language, one does not need to know the original languages. You don't need to know Hebrew or Greek in order to understand the Bible. Because it is translatable, the Bible is. And it makes sense because God loves everyone in the world and he wants to communicate his truth to everyone. So it's obvious that God's word can be spoken and translated into any language. Well, that was number five. The Bible does not need footnotes or expert teachers, but the Quran seems to need them quite a bit because the Quran doesn't have much context. It's, it's very difficult to really read it, and for it to flow. Number six, the Bible does not need one line of the Quran for a person to understand 
the words contained in the Bible. But the Quran needs the Bible to get a fuller and more accurate understanding of Bible characters and Bible stories as they are mentioned in the Quran. Because uh, the Quran does mention Abraham, Adam, Noah, David, Jesus. The Quran makes mention of all these people and mentions the stories of them. But in order to get the whole story, you're going to need to get the Bible. And a lot of times these stories in the Quran contradict the Bible. And we'll get to that down the, uh, further on in our talk here. Let me give you some examples of how you need the Bible to understand a lot of the things that are written in the Quran. One of them is Satan did not speak directly to Adam in the Garden of Eden, as the Quran claims in chapter 20, verse 121, uh, verse 120, that is. But re re Satan did not speak to Adam. Satan spoke to Eve first, not Adam. Here's another one. No son of Noah drowned in the flood, as claimed in the Quran. But all three of the sons of Noah survived the flood. And you can read about that in Genesis chapter 9, verse 19. And where it says that Noah drowned, one of Noah's sons drowned in the flood, it's mentioned in Surah, uh, Surah 11, verse 43. Also, Abraham did not plan to sacrifice Ishmael as seen in Surah 37, 99 and, and following. Instead, Abraham planned to offer Isaac. And you can learn about that in Genesis chapter 22. So we need the Bible to get the true story and we need the Bible to get the whole story. So that's a good reason why we need the Bible more and we should trust the Bible more than, than the Quran. Number seven, the Bible is translatable in all languages, as I already mentioned, and written for all people of the world. But the Quran is written primarily for and understandable to the Arabic-speaking people. Quote, to truly understand its meaning, one must master Arabic, end quote. That's from the clear Quran. That's a uh, not a verse from the Quran. It's it's a, one of the introductory words from I believe Mr. Khattab. He I believe he said that. So imams or Muslim leaders. That's what an imam is. It's a Muslim leader, and Islamic scholars are necessary for understanding the Quran, implying that the Quran cannot stand on its own. Many Muslims trust their leaders and their teachers more than they do the Quran. And that's a problem because um, the Quran claims to be the, the foundation for Islam. Number eight, Jesus claimed that his words and all the words of scripture will never pass away. You can read about that in Matthew 5, 18. Matthew 24, 
verse 35 and Luke 16 verse 17. Here's one of the here's one of the words also in 1 Peter. Quote, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. End quote. That's in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 25. But the Quran, to my knowledge, does not teach that the Quran will endure forever. Now it may, I just have not seen it, and I might be flawed here, but I just it's to my knowledge, I've never seen where the Quran says it will endure forever. Some Muslim teachers assert that Muhammad had the accurate scriptures in his possession, but we today no longer have them. They say the Quran is the last message of God for mankind. This is a big claim that I believe they need to prove before a candid world. The only way to prove that the Bible has been corrupted in our day is for someone to produce an accurate copy, perhaps Muhammad's copy if he had one, and to compare that with our Bible of today. The best way to prove that a $20 bill is fake is if you compare it with a real one. So my question is, where is Mohammed's Bible? They say that the Bible we have today is not the real one. Or it's, not, it's not based on the originals. It's been corrupted. Well, I think they need to prove that. I'd like to see how our Bible of today is different from the one that Jesus was using and different from the one that the Apostle Paul was using. I'd like to see how that is different. There is plenty of proof to show that our English Bible is true to the originals. Plus, even flawed modern Bibles teach the Trinity. They teach the deity of Christ. They teach repentance, salvation by faith in Christ. They teach all the major doctrines of Christianity, even the corrupt Bibles, and there are corrupt Bibles. But I will say this, none of the modern versions of the Bible teach the fundamentals of Christianity and pure morality more clearly and more often than the King James Bible. Number nine, the Bible teaches that Jesus and the apostles did many miracles to confirm that their message was from God. You can learn about that in Matthew chapter 10, Mark chapter 16, John 20, verse 30 and 31. And I'm going to read that one. Quote, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. End quote. On the other hand, the Quran makes no clear mention that Muhammad did any verifiable and attestable miracles. But some Imams claim that the Quran itself is a miracle. Well, that's uh, open to debate, of course. 
But uh, that's number nine. Number 10, the, the claims that Jesus made of himself and for himself, as recorded in the Bible, are vastly superior to the claims that Muhammad made of himself or for himself as found in the Quran. Here, listen to what the Lord Jesus said about himself. Quote, I am the bread of life. He that cometh unto me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. End quote. That's found in John chapter 6, verse 35. Here's another quote of Jesus. He said, if any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. And he, he cried that to the people when he was at a festival, in uh, at a Jewish uh, festival. And that's found in John chapter 7, verse 37. Here's another quote. Jesus said, I and my father are one. That's found in John chapter 10, verse 30. Here's another one. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? End quote. That's from John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. Here's another one. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. End quote. John 14, 6. If these claims are false, then Jesus and the Bible are false, and they are devilish. If they are true, then the Quran is false and devilish. The Quran states no alike claims from Muhammad. So that's a good reason to trust the Bible. Just the fact that what Jesus claimed about himself is much higher than what Muhammad claims for himself. Number 11. The Bible claims to be the words of God thousands of times. Phrases such as, Thus saith the Lord, and the word of the Lord came unto me, are found many, many times in the Bible. The Quran makes similar claims, and you can find one in Surah 20, verse 4, but it definitely makes them much less often and less clearly than in the Bible. Both books cannot be of God because they disagree with each other very often. If the claims of the Quran to be the words of God are true, then why does the Quran urge doubters to go to the people of the book to prove that the Quran is of God? And the people of the book, in the mind of the Quran, is referring most likely to the Jews and to the Christians. The Quran reads this, quote, If you, O prophet, are in doubt about these stories that we have revealed to you, then ask those who read the scripture before you. The truth has certainly come down to you from your Lord. So do not be one of those who doubt. End quote. And that's from Surah 10, verse 94. And notice it says, If you, O prophet, are in doubt about the, these stories that we have revealed unto you. The word we there is most likely speaking of Allah because Allah is speaking to the prophet, to, to Muhammad here. So Allah 
claims to have revealed the scripture, too. It's come to you from the Lord, it says. The Quran says that God revealed the Torah and the gospel. The Torah would be the first five books of the Bible. That would be the Pentateuch, they call it. And the gospel would be the good message. The word gospel means good news or good message. And it's most likely referring to the good message of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But technically, the gospel is the whole message of the New Testament scriptures, technically. The Quran also says we should judge the Quran by the Torah and the gospel, and that these scriptures are, quote, a guide and a lesson to the God-fearing, end quote. That's from Surah 5, verse 46 and 47. So you see, the Quran states that the scriptures are a guide and a lesson to the God-fearing. If the Quran would truly be of God, then it would tell the world that all the Jews and Christians are infidels and that the Bible is not and was not God's revelation. But the Quran doesn't really say that. Although in other places it does say that. Like I said, the, contra the, the, the Quran contradicts itself quite a bit. That's why it's very hard for a reasonable mind to really interpret it because it's, in some cases, all over the map. Number 12, the Bible has a Savior, the only begotten Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died and rose again for all mankind to save them from sin and hell. That's the Bible. The Quran has no such Savior of the world and no Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And that's what it says in John chapter 1, verse 29. It says it, referring to Jesus, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Justice requires that there be some sort of atonement, some sort of satisfactory payment before sin can be forgiven. Repentance and good works are good, but they cannot atone for sin. It's only the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that can atone for our sins and make way for forgiveness. The word atonement basically means it's the satisfaction of justice that makes way for forgiveness and for reconciliation. That's what the word atonement basically means. Well, in the Quran, there is no atonement. And, uh, but in the Bible, there is. Big difference, huge, huge difference between the two books. Number 13, the Torah, again, the first five books of the Old Testament, also called the Pentateuch, that'd be Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. These books are, that's what we call the Torah. So it says the Torah and the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, teach that we should not avenge ourselves or bear a grudge against others. But the Quran teaches the opposite. Let's read some of the verses from the Bible, as, as well as the New Testament. Here's one from Leviticus 19, 
verse 18. This is in the Torah now. It says this, quote, Thou shalt not avenge, thou shalt not avenge, nor bear any grudge against the children of my people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord, end quote. Now, the word avenge here means retaliate. Thou shalt not retaliate or get even. It means get even or take revenge. Then it says, nor bear any grudge. That means show any malice or resentment or ill will or hatred. So it teaches that we should not hate our fellow man. And that's in Leviticus 19. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, one of the Gospels, it says, quote, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, end quote. That's the Gospel. Also, in Romans chapter 12, this was written by the Apostle Paul, we read this, quote, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. End quote. These are words from the gospel, or you could say from the New Testament, from the Bible. Well, let's read some from the Quran. Surah 9, verse 5 says this, quote, But once the sacred months have passed, kill the polytheists who violated their treaties wherever you find them. Capture them, besiege them, and lie in wait for them on every way. End quote. That's Surah 9.5. Here's another one, 9.12, Surah 9.12. Quote, But if they break their oaths after making a pledge and attack your faith, then fight the champions of disbelief. End quote. Here's another one. Chapter 9, verse 14 in the Quran. Quote, So fight them, and God will punish them at your hands. Put them to shame. I'm sorry, I, I didn't quite read that right. Let me, let me read that again. So fight them, and God will punish them at your hands. Put them to shame. Help you overcome them. And soothe the hearts of the believers, end quote. So you say, he's saying, fight them, punish them at your hands. God will punish them at your hands. In other words, using your hands to punish them. Quote, here's another one, chapter 9, verse 29. Fight those who do not believe in God and the last day, nor comply with what God and his messenger have forbidden. So you see, the word fight is found quite a bit here. So some imams may say this is taken out of context. But does the Quran have any context? 
any indisputable context? Do Muslims themselves understand the Quran? Most of them depend upon the interpretations of their imams. Remember, this treatise or this, this deep dive is a critique of the Quran, the Quran itself, not so much a critique of what Muslims say about the Quran. Notice, I'm investigating the Quran here. And when I read these words, I have to just use my mind and say, what, what are these words saying? So it's pretty much different from what the Bible teaches. Now, the Bible does teach capital punishment. That's clear. But it's only after due process, and it's only the civil power that has the right to, to uh, execute criminals. And so the Bible does, does talk about war. Sometimes war is justified. There's no doubt there. And uh, so we, we know that. But the Bible also teaches that we should never take the law in our own hands and that we should love our even our enemies and bless them that curse us and do good to them that hate us. And sometimes the best thing you can do to your enemy is maybe ignore, you know, separate from him, not ignore him in a bad way, but separate from him or um, to speak truth to him. That would bless them. They, they may not like the truth, but you can try. And that's a good way to, to bless those that disagree with us. But that was number 13. Here's another reason why I would stick with the command, the Bible rather than the Quran. Number 14, the Bible does not contradict itself, but the Quran contradicts itself in several places. I've read quite a few places, and I'm not going to mention all of the ones I read because I don't have time to, but here are just a few that I believe are, are contradictions. In Surah 2, verse 2.56, it reads this, quote, let there be no compulsion in religion, for the truth stands out clearly from falsehood. So here, the Quran claims to be peaceful. And that's what it claims in that, in that surah. But in surah 8, verse 12 to 14, we read this, quote, I will cast horror into the hearts of the disbelievers. So strike their necks and strike their fingertips. This is because they defied God, Allah, and his messenger. That worldly punishment is yours. So taste it. Then the disbelievers will suffer the torment of the fire. Notice it says, then the disbelievers will suffer the torment of the fire. So there seems to be torment at the hands of fellow Muslims, but also at the hands of God directly in the, in the hellfire. Also, in Surah 4, verse 89, we read this, quote, But if they turn away, implying turn away from Islam, then seize them and kill them wherever you find them, and do not take any of them as allies or helpers, end quote. That's in chapter 4, verse 89. Also, we read this, quote, O you who were given the book, believe in what Allah, in what we have revealed, confirming your own scriptures. 
before we wipe out your faces, turning them backwards. End quote. That's from Surah 4, 47. The word we here is kind of confusing. It's most likely referring to Allah. But does it mean Allah and his followers? I don't know. I think that's subject to interpretation. I'm not sure how people interpret that. But those are strong words. So that's one contradiction. Here's another contradiction that we're seeing that we that I believe uh, that I'm seeing in the Quran. It's this. Uh, in Surah 3, verse 113, it says this. There are some people, I'm sorry, there are some among the people of the book who are upright, who recite the revelations throughout the night, prostrating in prayer. They believe in God and the last day, encourage good and forbid evil. They are truly among the righteous. End quote. Okay, so it's saying that the people of the book are among the righteous. People of the book would be Jews and Christians. And then it says, quote, as for those who firmly abide by the scripture and establish prayer, surely we never discount the reward of those acting righteously. End quote. That's Surah 7, 170. But in contradiction to this, we read this. Quote, Indeed, those who disbelieve from the people of the book and the polytheists will be in the fire of hell to stay there forever. They are the worst of all beings. End quote. That's from Surah 98, verse 6. Also, we read this, quote, Indeed, those who say God is the Messiah, son of Mary, have fallen into disbelief. That's from Surah 5, 17. So do you see the contradiction here? In one place, the Quran says, well, if the people of the book are truly righteous, they're going to have it good in the afterlife. But those people of the book, the polytheists, and by the way, a polytheist is those who believe in the Trinity. I believe in the Trinity. They, The Muslims think that we believe in three gods. We don't. We believe in one God existing eternally in three persons. That's what we believe. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. There's one God, but he is, a, he is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. That's what we believe. But in their mind, they consider us to be polytheists. So we will go to hellfire, it says here. And also, we are the worst of all beings. And we will stay in hell forever, it says. So there seems to be a contradiction here. So here's another contradiction. In Surah 6, 14, and also Surah 6, 163, Muhammad is said to be the first to submit to be a Muslim. But in Surah 7, verse 143, Moses is said to be the first Muslim believer. So that seems to be a contradiction there. It seems contradictory to say that the people of the book who are upright are truly among the righteous, and then to say 
those who disbelieve the Quran from the people of the book, meaning the faithful Christians who believe Jesus is God, are considered by the Quran to be disbelievers, fit for hell, and the worst of all beings. And uh, I'm just kind of repeating what I already said there earlier. So in one place, Christians are said to be righteous, and in another place, they are said to be on the way to hell. Now, that's what I'm making out of the Quran. And I guess you have to judge for yourself. You have to investigate these verses. That's why I'm giving you the surahs. The, the, I'm citing the places to find these quotes in the Quran. That seems quite contradictory. So the, I just mentioned there are three contradictions. There are others, but um, I don't have time to go into them. So here's number 15. The Bible teaches that the penalty for theft is to restore double. And you read about that in Exodus chapter 22, verse 1 to 4. But the Quran teaches a cruel and excessive penalty for theft, at least in my opinion. Let me read the Quran. Quote, As for male and female thieves, cut off their hands for what they have done, a deterrent from God. End quote. That's from Surah 5, verse 38. I think that's quite extreme. Um, and uh, definitely contrary to what the Bible says. Here's another contradiction or another reason to believe the Bible. The Bible teaches that if a professing Christian commits a real sin, such as murder or theft or adultery or lying, and does not repent, he will be cast into hell and stay there forever. And there's quite a few verses that will bear this out, substantiate what I just said there. One of them is Matthew 5, 27 to 30. Another one is Matthew chapter 7, 20, verse 21 to 23. Matthew 13, verse 41 to 42. And Matthew 18, 7 to 9. And also Matthew 25, verse 46. That's just in Matthew. And there's some in Luke, there's some in Revelation, there's some all over the place. So it does say that if we die in sin, we will be cast into hell. We will be in Revelation, it says, we'll be cast into the lake of fire. But the Quran teaches that no Muslim who intentionally kills a fellow Muslim will stay in hell forever. Now, that's interesting. They'll go to hell, but they won't stay there. And here's a quote. And whoever kills a believer... In their mind, they mean a Muslim. And whoever kills a believer intentionally, their reward will be hell where they will stay indefinitely. End quote. That word indefinitely is quite alarming. It's quite interesting. Quote, they will be punished in hell according to the severity and magnitude of, their, of the sin then eventually be taken out of hell, end quote. Now, this is a footnote, and I believe it's a footnote on this passage, but this is a footnote that's um, from Mustafa Katab. Now, that's what he interprets, that word, they'll stay there indefinitely. He says they'll eventually be taken out of hell. So a Muslim will not 
if he dies in his sin, will not be cast into hell to stay there forever, necessarily. But the Bible teaches that hell is eternal, and there is no getting out. There's no second chance. There's no purgatory, according to the Bible. And uh, so that would be a big difference between the two, the two books. Number 17. The Bible teaches that one sin, unconfessed and unforsaken, will lead to hell. It teaches that no amount of good works can offset or cancel or atone for our past sins. That's the Bible. We cannot save ourselves by doing good works, according to the Bible. We must believe in Jesus and follow him and persevere in faith and holiness in order to be saved. Only the sufferings and death of Christ on the cross can atone for or make reparation for our sins. Our personal salvation depends upon, quote, our repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 20, verse 21. So to be saved, our faith in God must be the kind that purifies our hearts, works by love, and is productive of good works. And all these statements I just made here purifies our heart. That's mentioned in Acts chapter 15, verse 9. Our faith in Christ must work by love. In other words, it must work. But it must work by love. That's found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. And it's also the kind of works that it produces faith. And you can read about that in James chapter 2, verse 14 to the end of the chapter. The word salvation in the clear Quran is rare. Although the concept is in it, it teaches that if a person's good works outweigh the bad works, they will be in bliss. That's what the Quran teaches. In other words, they teach salvation by works. Here's a, a quote from the Surah 101, verse 6 through 9. Surah, or chapter 101, verse 6. Quote, so as for those whose scale is heavy with good deeds, they will be in a life of bliss. And as for those whose scale is light, their home will be the abyss. The abyss, meaning hell. End quote. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 18. The Bible nowhere tells us to judge its teachings by the Quran. It makes no mention of a Quran or of Muhammad. But the Quran does tell us that the Torah and the Gospel are revelations from God. And the Quran does make mention of Jesus. So the, the Bible does not make any reference to Muhammad. But the Quran makes plenty of references to the Lord Jesus Christ and to all the other great heroes and, and prophets and, and um, Bible characters like Adam and Abraham and Noah and David and Moses. So here's a quote. O believers, have faith in God, his messenger, the book 
he has revealed to his messenger and the scriptures he revealed before. Indeed, whoever denies God, his angels, his books, his messengers, and the last day has clearly gone far astray. Now that's in the Quran, chapter 4, verse 136. So you can see the Quran speaks of the books. Interesting, plural. His messengers, there's more than one, not just Muhammad. So who are those messengers? Well, they're referring to Abraham and David and Moses and, and the Lord Jesus. So there you have it. And also in Surah chapter 3, verse 3 to 4, you can check that out. And Surah 5, verse 43 to 47. Number 19, the Quran encourages people to test the Quran by the scriptures. But the Bible never encourages people to test the scriptures by using the Quran. That's a difference. Number 20, the Quran teaches that God has no son. No son, no only begotten son also. But the Bible teaches the very teaches it very often that God does have a son. It even teaches it in the Old Testament that God has a son. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, it is often mentioned that Jesus is the son of God. Of course, in the Old Testament, it doesn't mention Jesus by name. It mentions Jesus only as the Messiah. It's referring to Jesus, but it calls it the Messiah in Daniel chapter 9. Verse 21, the Bible often claims that moral and religious truth never changes. Now, it is true that some ceremonial laws and rituals that were imposed on the people of Israel were not imposed on the Gentiles. That's very clearly taught in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 21. It says, if something dies of itself, don't eat it. Give it to the Gentiles. Now you see, that's a ceremonial law. It was okay for the Gentiles to eat something that died of itself, but not okay for the Jews. So see, there was something that was imposed on the Jewish people, but not on everyone else. That is seen in the Old Testament. And that makes sense when you, you put it all together. It's also true that some practices were meant to be temporary. And they were meant to be only obligatory, only on the Israelites before Christ came. What were some of these practices that were obligatory for the Israelites? Well, circumcision, the rite of circumcision, the sacrificing of animals, the not eating of certain meats, like they couldn't eat swine, the Jews could not eat swine. And of course, God did that as a way of separating his people, people of Israel, from the heathen and the pagans. Uh, when you eat the same stuff the pagans eat, generally you mix together. And God did not want Israel to mix in with the pagans. And that's why he gave them a special diet. Because uh, what you eat can really cause separation between people. So these Je uh, Jewish ceremonial laws were repealed after 
Christ's resurrection. But this does not mean that God has changed moral or religious truth. Many of the Jewish laws were temporary, and they were designed to point people to the future Messiah. Since the Messiah came, Jesus, and since his church is made up of both Jew and Gentile, those Old Testament Jewish ceremonial laws were abolished. God has not changed one bit from eternity past, but his dealings with mankind has changed over time. God cannot and will not change his law for how people are to behave. Which is what? God's law for all people is to love God supremely and to love your neighbor as yourselves. That law has not changed. The Bible declares, quote, My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. That end quote, by the way. And that's in Psalm 89, verse 34. And if you look at other Psalms, you'll find out that God does not change. Psalm 119, verse 89, it says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Uh, in James chapter 1, verse 17, it says that God is invariable. He doesn't change. The true God is an unchanging God. But Allah, in the Quran, as mentioned in the Quran, he claims he can change his, mes his message if he wants to. He can do anything. This is called the theory of abrogation in the mind of the Islamic teachers, Islamic people. It's called the theory, or it's called abrogation. The Quran says this, quote, God eliminates and confirms what he wills, and with him is the master record, end quote. So it says there, God eliminates that's in Surah 13, verse 39. You can check all this out for yourself. Here's another one. Quote, if we, referring to Allah, ever abrogate a verse or cause it to be forgotten, we replace it with a better or similar one. Do you not know that God is most capable of everything? That's End quote, by the way. That's in Surah, chapter 2, verse 106. And you could also look at Surah 17, verse 89. You know what's interesting is the Communist Manifesto also calls for eternal truths to be abolished. See, that's that, the Catholic Church does that too. They're always changing their beliefs and what is okay, what is not okay. Always changing it. And uh, they've been doing that for the last... 1,500 years or more. and um, But God's truth, Jesus, it doesn't change. Jesus says, I am uh, the same today, yesterday, and forever. And so moral law is fixed. And moral law has to do with one thing, loving God. This is the moral law. All the law hangs on these two commandments. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. And another place it says, with all thy understanding and with all thy strength. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Every one of God's special laws mentioned in God's book, the Bible, is a means or method by which 
to love God supremely and to love our fellow man. When you obey the Ten Commandments, you are truly promoting the well-being of yourself, your family, your fellow man, and you are also making God very happy. You're pleasing God when you obey the Ten Commandments. So love is really what all the commandments is all about anyway. But the Communist Manifesto is very similar to the to the Muslim uh, Islam, and it's very similar to Roman Catholicism too, and Freemasonry, and there are so many powerful high plate uh, forces that are lining up together because they all have basically one religion. And what is that religion? It's called anti-Christianity. If it's it's anti-Christ. And uh, the beast is called the Antichrist. Well, well said, according to the Bible. Number 22, Jesus teaches, quote, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven, end quote. That's in Matthew 22, verse 30. This implies there will be no sexual activity in heaven, in paradise. But in the Quran, we read, quote, Indeed, the righteous will have salvation, gardens, vineyards, and full-bosomed maidens of equal age. End quote. That's in Surah 78, verse 31 to 33. So there's a contradiction here. The purpose of sexual activity is to reproduce. That's the number one reason why God gave that. It's so that we would be fruitful and multiply. And there's not going to be any of that taking place in, in the afterlife. So um, that's that's just interesting. Number 23. Sex, slavery, and polygamy is condemned in the Bible. You say, where is that condemned? Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Genesis 16, 1 through 5. That's where Abraham had relations with his slave girl, an Egyptian slave girl, which produced some severe consequences, by the way. Consequences that we're feeling today because through that union came Ishmael, and Ishmael is the father of the Arabs and really the father of the Muslims. Muslim, a lot of the Muslim people, not all of them, but a lot of the Muslim people come, they're Arabs. And the Arabs come from Ishmael. And there's been, and it mentions in the Bible that they will be a wild man. The Arabs will be a wild man. It, it mentions that. It's not that God's making them that way. It's that God foreknows that they're going to be that way. So um, Mark chapter 10, verse 6 to 8, also mentions that marriage is between one man and one woman. And 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2, says to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. It doesn't say his own wives, plural. It says let every man have his own wife. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it mentions that an elder or a bishop uh, or a deacon, must be the husband of one wife. 
So this is clearly stated in the Bible that polygamy is wrong and it's, and it's uh, destructive. But also, but, you know, it's deemed acceptable in the Quran. Now, polygamy is deemed acceptable in the Quran. Look at it in Surah, chapter 4, verse 3, and verse 24, and also chapter 70, verse 30. Now, you're going to see both sex slavery is allowed, according to the Quran. Having a, a female bondwoman for reasons that are impure, in my mind, uh, that, that's allow, allowed in, in the Quran. Uh, read it for yourself. Surah 4, verse 3 and 24, and also Surah 70, verse 30. And I want to end with this one. This is the last one. 24. The Bible teaches that Jesus is risen from the dead, alive in heaven, interceding for the saints, and is coming back in glory to rapture his church and to punish all sinners, all unbelievers. His bones are not buried anywhere on earth. That's what it says about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Quran claims none of these things for Muhammad. So I just want to urge you to become a believer in the true God who sent his son Jesus to die for us so that we could be forgiven of all our sins and not perish in hell. Thank you so much for listening. God bless.